Hey, West Bowles, good morning. Well, we are, uh, as you just saw, in a series right now called Taking November to Remember. And if you missed last week, let me just get you caught up because we came away with this idea last week that said, instead of writing Jesus' to-do list, which we often do, remember his already done list. And the reason for that is because we often get to this time of year and we get to Thanksgiving Day and we spend a day being thankful and then we just move on. And we move on quickly and it's easy to forget what God has done in our lives. And so hopefully you have a list. If not, I'm sure you could start mentally generating one right now. But there's a reason that we started building that list because there's something I believe God wants to do with that list in our lives. He wants, to, he, wants to, he wants to inform how we walk forward with it. And I don't know what's on your list, and I don't know the reasons why, why those things are on your list. It may be like the girl that we, um, we had years of working with teenagers, my wife and I, in the youth group here. And this girl, we were just talking about life lessons one day. We said, you know, what are some major life lessons that you've learned? And she said, well, my next kiss is going to be on my wedding day. And I went, well, that's, that's good. I, I'm expecting some deeply spiritual reason for it. And I said, well, why is that on your list? And she said, well, because recently a boy um, kissed me for the first time, and he did this awkward bird peck, and then he stood back, and he was like, that's right. And I see some of your faces. No, that is not a story about my wife, Kara, and I, okay? So, <laughs> anyhow. But that, that list, part of why we need to know that list is because it shapes us going forward. See, oftentimes in our rush to move forward, we actually move backward. But I think God wants us to, whether it's individually or as a church, stop and reflect and look backward in order to inform going forward. And so we're taking November to remember. And there is an interaction I want us to look at today that Jesus had with a woman. This is in Luke chapter 7. And this interaction, I think, just shows us so much about how we need to process that list of what he's done in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 7. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But listen to this. This is Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus, that's already strange because Pharisees weren't usually inviting Jesus to anything. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, when you're picturing this, this is not reclining like we would picture reclining with your feet out in front of you. It's, it's kind of a cross between like think teenage girl slumber party and, um, and like guys... Guys like just laying on the couch, eating food, watching a game, but much more serious, okay? So they would, they would lay at the table with their feet out behind them. Well, that's important to understand what happens next. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, and many people think that sinful life entailed prostitution, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, can you imagine, if you know anything about the Pharisees and the judgment they could cast, imagine being this woman walking into this house. I mean, that takes some bold, bold courage. And as we're going to see in a little bit, I think it has to do 
with something that Jesus has done in her life already. But let's walk through it. So she shows up with an alabaster jar of perfume. This is expensive, expensive stuff. And it says, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, if I could just give you a glimpse into the life at the Harrison household, this is how I greet my wife every single time she walks in the door. It's tears, it's kissing her feet, and, and actually usually my hair's up in like a bun, and I just let it all down and just perfume. Right, honey? Is not, not how you remember it? Okay. Um, I like to think I'd, I should greet her that way. Anyhow. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, here's what's so interesting to me about this Pharisee. He's so busy looking at this woman and her sin. Who does he miss right in front of him? Jesus. Jesus is sitting right in front of him, and he's worried about this woman's sin. He's a Pharisee. He knows about God. He may teach about God, and yet he doesn't recognize just who Jesus is. And that brings me back to us. I, I read this, and I think, well, what about us? What do we see in other people's lives? But maybe the question that we need to ask before that is, what do we see in our own lives? Because I'm convinced that we will walk through life one of two ways. We will either focus on the what, or we'll focus on the who. And as we made these lists this last week, or as you're thinking through it in your mind right now, the what is designed to point at the who. The, maybe the problems that you either have or have overcome are designed to point at the one who's been present in the midst of it all. It, it kind of reminds me of, there's just a little video clip, and, and I've just got a couple screenshots from it. Look at, look at this, this picture. Okay, that is a dilemma, right? You've got this SUV stuck in the mud, and, and I remember when I first saw it, I thought, I'm really interested to see how they're gonna get out. And, and we focus on the problem, and we focus on the details, and I think we overlook how this video ends up. Take a look at the next. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that about how it goes when you look back on things? It was like I was so worried. I was so, I was fretting. I had so much anxiety. I didn't know what I was going to do. And oh, there he was. He showed up. What is on that list? As you're thinking about it, maybe you're adding to it mentally right now. What is on that list? And how do we walk through life, really? Do we focus on the what or do we focus on the who? And how do you know? Well, Jesus is about to tell a brief little story that I think helps us sort that out. He says, verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, that's Pharisee's name, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. 
Now, can I make a few observations here? Why would Jesus tell a story about money to a Pharisee? Why would he do that? Well, it's because Pharisees, their, their world easily revolved, they could get there very easily, revolving around money. Does sound familiar? And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, well, that story has my attention too. Because it's easy to revolve around that. Another observation. You have two people in the story. Both owed a debt. Both were forgiven that debt. But there's one major difference. What's the difference? The amount. The amount they owed. Okay, so why would Jesus tell a Pharisee a story about two different people who owed different sized debts? Because the Pharisees were experts in comparing people's debts to one another. The Pharisees were experts at this. And they would say, you know what? You owe a debt to God and you owe a debt to God, but you owe more of a debt to God than you do. Or than, than they would even think that they themselves owed. And this was problematic. And so Jesus knows this and he's telling them this story. And it goes on. Or sorry, before I go on, what do you think the penalty for owing a debt was? in that day, if you owed any debt whatsoever, it was jail. It was jail time. It was separation from society. And Pharisees would walk around and they'd go, oh, you owe a debt? And so you're separated from God. And they would make people feel that separation over and over and over and over. And they would burden people with it. But they overlooked something. See, they focused on the degree, the measurement of the debt. And what they overlooked, what they overlooked in this story that Jesus told was that the debt was paid for. That debt was paid for. And so Jesus put this all together now. He's, he's telling this Pharisee this story because he's making a point that the money lender didn't distinguish between the amount who distinguishes between the amount? Well, we do. We do, right? And so it goes on. Jesus asks a question. He says, who, who do you suppose will love the moneylender more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. Jesus said. See, what Jesus is trying to get Simon to understand, and he's trying to get you and I to understand, is to ask ourselves the question, what is the size, how do I measure the size of my debt to my heavenly father? How, how big is my debt to my heavenly father? Because as he's watching how Simon is interacting with this woman, Jesus sees an imbalance here. Jesus sees in Simon a comparison of debts. And, and it's a form of saying, well, at least I'm not like her. And so Jesus calls this out. He says, look, whether it's 500 units of sin or 50 units of sin, there is a debt that has to be paid. And that is important for us because when we understand that God doesn't see the degree of the sin, then we understand how he really sees. That there is a penalty regardless. And when we understand the measure of the penalty for sin, we can fully appreciate 
the value of the payment that was made on our behalf. And so Jesus looked at Simon and he said, both had debt, both were forgiven. And see, maybe the most telling thing about us as we walk through life and we either focus on the what or the who is the understanding that Jesus is bringing out here. That we will either, what, what is so important about how we see God is how we measure not just our debt, but how we measure the payment that was made on our behalf. Because a lot of times, especially Pharisees and especially us, we like to think, well, at least I didn't, and at least I'm not like, and at least I didn't do that. There was a, uh, there's a researcher, an author named Dan Ariely, and he wrote a book on how irrational we can be, and he did an experiment with 30,000 people over a two-year period. And what he did is he would bring people into a room, and he would give them a basically a five-minute math test. And what he said is he said, you're going to get a dollar for every single math question that you get right. And so they'd have five minutes, and they would do these math problems. And on their way out, they would put their paper in what they thought was a shredder, but the thing didn't really shred them. And he said, oh, by the way, before you put it in the shredder, you're going to grade your own test. So you're going to come tell me how many answers you got right, and then you'll get a dollar for each correct answer. So people would put their paper in the shredder thinking nobody's going to see it. Well, it didn't really shred the papers, and then they went through them. And they discovered that on average, people would report getting six answers correct and when they actually only got four answers correct. So on average, people would miss two questions. So what they did is they said, okay, anybody who, who, got, uh, who, sorry, who got less than that correct, they would be considered a big cheater. Okay, if they reported they got six correct and they got less than four correct, they were considered a big cheater. Okay, anybody who got more than that correct, they'd be considered a small cheater. If they, if they maybe reported they got six correct, but they maybe only got five correct, they were considered a small cheater. So he added up, after these 30,000 examinations, after doing all those, he added up the amount that the small cheaters cost and the amount that the big cheaters cost. You know how many big cheaters he, he found? 12. 12 out of 30,000 who had cheated them out of a total of $150. How many small cheaters do you think they found? 18,000. 18,000 small cheaters who just one or two dollars at a time cheated their way through this test. It cost $30,000. They gave away $30,000 to small cheaters. And I, I read that and I looked at that and I thought, oh my goodness. Isn't this what we do? We do exactly what Simon the Pharisee does at times, where we just think, oh, my debt's not that big. And Jesus says, no, that, that's, that's a problem. To think that is actually a problem. And this is where, this is where what the woman does next, as Jesus explains what the woman did, that is so instructive for us as we look at our list. Verse 44, then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, 
See, it was custom. When you had a guest over to your house at this time, it was custom. If there was not a servant to wash the guest's feet, then there was at least a basin of water for them to wash. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. In other words, Simon, I didn't even get water from you, but I got tears of repentance from her and she wiped them with her hair. She, she actually, it wasn't customary for women to let their hair down. So this was her dignity that she was even pouring out to Jesus. And it raises a question for us. As I look back at my list of what he's done for me, well, does it produce some repentance in me? Does it, am I willing to let, lay aside my dignity to acknowledge what he's done for me? He goes on. Verse 45, you did not give me a kiss. This was a customary greeting. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. In other words, it wasn't just her repentance. It wasn't just her dignity. It was her adoration that she would kiss Jesus' feet with. Verse 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. In other words, not just the repentance, not just the dignity, not just the adoration, but the extravagance that she would go to. Oil might have been a normal greeting, but this woman went above and beyond that to her best. She gave her very best. And Jesus is saying, in other words, Simon, you didn't even give me a hand, but this woman gave me her heart. Therefore, I tell you, verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. As her great love has shown. See, it's, we get this backwards. It's easy for us to think, oh, well, if I just love him enough, then I'll have forgiveness. And Jesus says, no, no, no. See, your love is not the root of your forgiveness. Your love is the evidence of, it is the fruit of your forgiveness. And then he adds on to it. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. This is so interesting to me. And don't miss this because as you think about your list, you know what Jesus is saying here? Our greatest love pours today from treasuring his love before today. The greatest love you and I could express pours out of his forgiveness from our past. Our greatest love pours today from treasuring his love before today. That, that list that you put together this week or that list that you're getting together right now mentally, it is off of that list that our greatest love both today and going forward will flow. Well, why is that? Because it tells us something about the who that is present in our lives. And so, as you think about that list, you know, one of the things that got me this week is I was making my list and I thought, I think I've just kind of taken a lot of this for granted. And I think I just, well, I, it was like a kind of, well, thank you, God, I'm going to move on. But how do we measure the items on that list? The Pharisee expected it, but the woman was grateful for it. 
She said, that meant everything. The forgiveness gave me the courage to boldly step into a house full of Pharisees to adore my heavenly father. But the other question I think this raises for us as a church is that many, many people will come through these doors who need a list. And they need to know about that list. And it's interesting where Jesus starts. Where does he start? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Remember what we said last week? Even if nothing landed on your list, you know where you could start? The cross. Right there. Even if Jesus had done nothing else for us, he did one thing. The cross. The forgiveness of our sins. And as a result, the rest of that list takes place. It's out of the forgiveness that we love. Our greatest love pours today from treasuring his love before today. Well, there's another uh, implication of all this. Verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. There's a reminder here. Your sins are forgiven. In the midst of a room full of people that may be judging you right now, woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? See, two things happen when we recognize the list of the things he's done in our lives. The first is the great love, as Jesus says, great love pours from us. It pours from us. But the other thing that happens is people take notice. People say, wait, who, who is this? Who, who do you have? What's different in your life? Who is this? And, and you know what we get to answer? Well, I've been forgiven. I have not, not what, I have a who. And let me tell you about his great love. See, I'm convinced that our Heavenly Father is going to bring people into our lives that, that need to see his great love before today. They need to look back on their lives and they need to be able to see it. And who better to share that news than us? And you know what the great reward of all this is? What Jesus says in verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, last week he said to the leper, your faith has made you well. When we see what he's done, not only are we well, but he also says here, will you go? You go in peace. As a result of what he's done, you actually go in peace. And so as the worship team comes up for one more song, even if you didn't get to make that list this week, would you consider, would you pull out your list if you made one? Would you mentally think through your list and let this be a time where we look at our list and we measure, we measure what that list has meant to us. So we'll spend a few minutes. Let me pray and we'll spend a few minutes in worship. Heavenly Father, you know, for all the focus we get on the what of our lives, we often forget the who that is present in our lives. 
And so this morning, whether it was last week or this morning, as you flash things into our mind of what you've done, what you're doing, what you want to do, would you, would you remind us that we owed a huge debt and you made a huge payment? And the items on our list are actually a reflection of that payment that you made on our behalf. And so fill our hearts with that over these next few moments as we worship and as we head into Thanksgiving this week. Make us perhaps more grateful than we've ever been that this would not just be going around the Thanksgiving table, listing off things that we're grateful for, but that we would actually look back and see your presence and your payment on our behalf. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.